uh, welcome in the Red Hawks head basketball coach, Brad Korn. How was your how was your drive over to uh, Dexter? <laughs> you know what? It was actually pretty good. Every now and again, you need some window time and some some time to yourself. So never, uh, if you're in college coaching and coaching in general, window time, is, you're never scared of that. A lot of practice. So nice drive on down. Beautiful day out. And, um, you know, just a, another week for us to try to see if we can't finish this thing out, get in the conference tournament. And then once that happens, anything's possible. So that's kind of the mindset this week heading into it. And um, that's the way we'll approach it. So when you're driving uh, here or you're just driving in general, uh, be careful how you answer this. Are you a listen-to-the-radio guy? Are you a listen-to-your-music guy, your playlist? Uh, maybe you've got a... Uh... I, I, like to, I like to listen to Real Rock 99.3. Very nice. The program director of 99. Uh, Real Rock is... Uh, Kirby Ray, and he is here. Curb service, so you said the right thing. You put a smile on Kirby's face. Hey, you know, I'm getting experience. I mean, I'm in coaching, so just tell everybody what they want to hear and then uh, just keep it moving. So back in the day, I mean, people, they always listen to radio. Now you've yeah. got more options. I mean, you can you can listen to a playlist. You can listen to podcasts. You can listen to different things. You, know, you have a variety of, uh, of things when you're in the vehicle, or do you just drive in silence? No, actually, I, I, I do listen to um, – I do listen to the radio, especially in the morning. I take my girls to school every morning, and it's uh, it's pretty funny. My youngest now can uh, recite the Napa commercial because a lot of the times we'll put on 102.9, uh, just in the joke of the day. Uh, so we get a kick out of that. Uh, but I'm not a podcast guy. It just makes me sleepy, and so I don't do the podcast. So I do try to stick to the radio, find out a little bit of what's going on in the world. You know, your little segment, your sports segment comes on, weather comes on. So just to that's really where you get a quick little touch of what's going on, especially as a coach, because you just head down in the bunker, so to speak, and uh, don't pay much attention to the outside when you're in season. At least I don't. So that's my one little 10, 15 minutes where you can get a little bit of uh, everything, uh, if you will, to f- try to be uh, somewhat rounded uh, as you carry on conversations throughout the day. So I think you answered my next question. Uh, what type of music do your girls like? It sounds like they like country music. I think country is just the safest bet okay. um, for young girls, at least as a dad. That's, uh, you know, sometimes. But they listen to everything. We listen to everything. I listen to everything. I mean, everything from, um, you know, Christian music to, to reggae to R&B to anything. Uh, so I, I really listen to a lot of different. I, I enjoy music, actually. I don't think there's anything quite like live music. That is a very uh, politically correct answer that you listen to the entire gamut. Uh, I think that's uh that's a that's a veteran uh, that's a veteran response as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you did. As long as it's the truth, you really can't get in much trouble. I don't think. Yeah, good point. Absolutely a good point. All right, uh, let's get into the uh, the two games that you played this past week. Uh, the the uh, most recent game, uh, UT Martin came in here. This uh, you're talking about the number one offense in the Ohio Valley Conference, and they had just put 106 points on Lindenwood 48 hours uh, before coming to the Show Me Center. Uh, at least in this particular game, you look at the free throw line in this game. They shot 35 free throws. They were excellent, 30 of 35. Uh, so they outscore you 30 to 13 from the line. Uh, unlike the Little Rock game, this game was decided at the strike. Yeah, and I, you know, we did a great job on, on Sears. Jordan Sears, one of their best players and one of the best players one of the best guards in the league i think he was three of 18 from the field 
so we did a great job on him. Uh, really made him work for everything. I also think he – I don't think he had an assist and four turnovers, uh, if I'm not mistaken. That's, that. He had three assists, four turnovers. Three assists, four turnovers. So you, you had him upside down, assist, turnover. You, did, he, you hold him to three of 18 from the field, uh, but 15 free throws. And another good player, I don't, I don't want to say a guard, uh, but Cruz is just an electric uh, scorer. That's what – those two guys make them go. And so, again, I think we did a nice job on Sears. Um, we, we messed up a couple times on Cruz, um, and, and he got loose. He hit a couple shots. I, got, you, I don't know if you saw the game. Of course, you were, I think, with baseball or whatever. Yeah, we were broadcasting game, baseball. He hit some shots that were like Steph Curry type. There's just not a whole lot you can do. And that's part of his game. When it's on, they're really good. And that's what's been happening for them for the last two, three weeks. They're clicking on all cylinders offensively. A lot of times when you take those shots and don't make them, now you lose, and, and you know they were hanging around, hanging around at the beginning of the part of the of the season. But now they're really starting to be efficient offensively, and that's hard to, to make up for. Because again, similar to Little Rock, Martin's defensive style is not the it's not the best. If I'm just being honest, they're it's kind of more just hopefully these guys get bored, shoot it, so we can get to the other end, and then we'll just uh, be efficient offensively. And so. Our team even a year ago would have fit much better. I was going to say that that yeah. kind of mirrors the way that you guys played last year when you made your run to the championship. Exactly. And you look at Moorhead. Moorhead's scoring more points now than they've ever scored before. Moorhead used to be the 50-60 defensive half court, uh, grind you out, stall you out. And this year they're scoring a lot more points than they have. So I don't know if there's a correlation with that. I do see some similarities in the way that we played and moved off ball from a year ago with our guys to being incorporated to what some people are doing now. And I think that if you look at it, it probably is some of that. You know, we came into the league and led the league in scoring for one or two. Even with Belmont being in the conference, we were in the top part. So I think people see that. They you scout against it, of course, and then try to add certain things. You're never a finished product. You never just do the same thing over and over again. Moorhead has had some great success over the last couple of years, and Coach Spryland does a great job. Uh, but you're always evolving and trying to add to what you already do. So you have your core, you have your foundation, you have your base of what you do, but you're continually trying to add certain things to that. I know we do that and other coaches do that as well. So Little Rock Martin scoring a lot, a lot of points, um, and they have the personnel to be able to do that. And Little Rock is, is different because it's not a, it's not like Martin. It's very, very weird that they're both scoring, but in two different kinds of ways. And that's the beauty of basketball and sport. There's a lot of ways that you can do it. Little Rocks is a little bit more smashy out inside the arc, shoot a great percentage from two, go get the rebound, put it back in. So at a minimum, we're shooting 50%. Martin, a little bit more from the outside, fast-paced, NBA all-star type of a system or style, if you will, because they have those guys that can really, really score the ball. So as we sit here today in terms of the OVC championship, we've got two games left in the regular season. Moorhead State, 12-4. and four. So is Martin. So is Little Rock. Martin has won five in a row. Moorhead just snapped their three-game losing streak. And Little Rock has won seven in a row. You just saw Little Rock. You just saw Martin. You have just seen Moorhead because you're working on what you're going to see on Thursday. Who's playing the best basketball right now of those three teams? Because I think they, they, you know, there's a good chance they all three went out. They're probably I don't, favored in their final three games is what I'm saying. Yeah, favored. I don't think that the other team's going to win out because I think we're going to win Thursday. That's, but, that's why I rephrased it to say that they're probably going to be favored by Vegas. Good one, good one. Um, in, all, in all honesty, though, Eric, I, I, I think that Martin is the most dangerous from the standpoint of because those two guys, if those two guys get hot, 
you know, you're in some real trouble. And then you get that third, fourth guy playing along with you. I think really, honestly, with this year more so than ever, it's going to come down to who gets that one, two, the tie breaks, if all of that comes to fruition. Uh, because I think it's a big deal for Martin to only have to play two games as opposed to three. I think Little Rock is built to win three games in three days if need be. And I think they're really, really dangerous. They only have to win two games in two days because of the physicality. I think when you look at their point guard play and their center, uh, their center Mitchell had only been playing, I think he missed, I think he came back and played maybe 10. I think he's played 10 games in league play. If I'm not mistaken, he missed some couple because he was the two-time transfer. Uh, so he's just now hitting his stride. And so I think he's a huge part of why they're able to play. Because we played them really well. We had the lead. We had the ball. We, we were in position to win that game at Little Rock. Uh, and it was the same roster. I just think that those guys are now further along. And Mitchell getting back into game flow and game reps. This is his fourth school. He started at Maryland, two years at Rhode Island, Arkansas last year, and this is school number four. And that's what – and so now you, you talk about him getting eligible right before Christmas. So now he's kind of hitting his stride a little bit too. And so to have that as a center position, and the, he's a really, really good player, that's just like getting a brand-new team in it February. It was a four-star recruit yeah. going out of high school. So I think that those two guys, you know, and then KK's playing on an all-league level, another Arkansas – uh, transfer so uh, when you have guys like that that can just put a team on the back and then those other guys that have been playing really well for little rock and just the style that they play they're so physical i mean they are so physical and they just they play they play they play they just they never take plays off um, so that's a dangerous team if they only have to do it for four halves of basketball you know that's hard to overcome that so i think martin could potentially get wore down um in three games in three days if they if they don't fall in that one two and then moorhead same type of a, same type of a deal. Um, for whatever reasons, they had lost three, and then you know you never would have thought, odds makers Vegas that Southern Indiana was going to go in there and win, and then they do that on a random wow. Tuesday night. So something may or may not be off there. Or they just had an off night. You just and then they go in by twenty at Western Illinois, an eight and a half hour bus ride. So none of this really makes a lot of sense. But if um, if you ask me my opinion on it, I would I would say right now. Little Rock, to me, looks like that team that just kind of has everything clicking and their style and the physicality to where if they only have to do that for, for four halves of basketball, that's a lot to have to overcome. I totally agree. When I watch them play, and we talked about it in our postgame show, and Jess and I talked about it uh, on the broadcast, I, I think Little Rock is going to be the toughest out in the yeah. tournament. Uh, Kyle Schwartz, who is at the Ohio Valley Conference, one of the associate commissioners for communications, is a SEMO grad, so we've got somebody in the OVC office. He always responds to my texts very quickly. He's a great guy. Uh, I just texted him while you were giving that last answer. How does a tiebreaker shake out if they all finish with four losses? We know Moorhead will not because they'll lose Thursday, but even if they did, there you go. Moorhead would be three. Okay. UT Martin would be two. Little Rock would be number one. Now, they would all share the championship, right? right. but in terms of seeding, it would be Moorhead who would not get the double bye and the other two would. So that's the way that it would shake out if it finishes the way that it is. And with the way this conference has been this year, there is no guarantee that's going to happen. And even go back to even to a year ago, I'll be honest with you, um, when Little Rock uh, lost to Lindenwood at the buzzer, uh, to me Little Rock was one of those teams last year that if they got in, they could have won four games in four days, three games in three days. Uh, and then they get beat at the buzzer. Uh, to Lindenwood, and they didn't even make the conference tournament a year ago. Uh, so, again, you think that they're going to win. They're in first place. <laughs> this league, I, it just seems even more random than ever. So you just you never, ever know. 
you would think that, oh, okay, they got, I don't even know who Little Rock plays uh, this weekend, but you just, you would assume, but you know, they say about people would assume. Tech and Tennessee State, I yeah. think. And so, again, it's just, you just don't, you don't know. Uh, you don't know. I don't know who Martin has. Um, you know, so you just, it's its never a sure thing. Like I said, you never would have, I really wouldn't have thought Southern Indiana has been super competitive all season long, uh, but you wouldn't think that they were to go in there and, and beat Moorhead at Moorhead. So um, it's right there. You know, that's what makes it great. That's what makes the, this time of year March Madness. Uh, and it will be March come whatever that is, Friday, potentially. I think it's right. Yeah, it's not potentially. It is. It's a fact. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so Friday comes March, and it's March basketball, you know. And I, so again, you don't know what's going to happen. Predict any of it, and that's why you guys show up and play the games. Martin and Little Rock play the same two teams, just separate order. So in other words, okay. Little Rock gets Tennessee State at home Thursday, then they get Tennessee Tech Saturday. It's the reverse for Martin; they get Tennessee Tech Thursday, Tennessee State Saturday. So they're playing the same teams. Yeah, yeah and it's just. And there's always weird things in conference play, too. It's just certain opponents uh, who plays well against, no matter who, it doesn't seem to matter who the head coach is or who's on the roster. It just always seems there's always, within the league, there's always these games that just, you know, we never seem to play well against that team. I know when I was at SIU, it was always at Northern Iowa. It just it seemed like we just never could play well at Northern Iowa. So um, I know that Martin typically doesn't ever play well at Moorhead. And so it's, you always have these weird things. So I don't know if there's been enough of that data out there for those two teams or, or for those games to kind of see where it's like, man, they never really play well there. So that adds another layer to it. And then I don't know the as far as the standings go. I know for Tech, for instance, they're saying the same way, hey, we win, we're in, because I know with us, we are in a situation. If we win two, Tech loses two, and USI loses two, we're in as the eight seed. So um, still a lot of basketball left to be played for us and still something to, to shoot for and salvage. Again, an opportunity to get in for to continue your season. And, uh, you know, Western Illinois' loss knocks them to uh, 11 and 5, so they're going to be out of the running here. I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be able to win it at 11 and 5, but uh, it's, it's a pretty nice showing first year in the league for the Leathernecks. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is, Eric, as you always sit back and self reflect and try to get better and you never really get in too much trouble for making a mistake. You get in trouble for making the same mistake over and over again. And Coach Boudreaux does a—he's a junior college guy. And you look at now in this NIL portal area, the game has kind of pivoted and shifted more towards guys that have been in the junior college ranks and, and understand the roster turnover and, and how that whole world works. It's a different world. There's a lot of different philosophies, like we're talking about earlier, about how to even run your team, but then there's also different philosophies as it relates to uh, recruiting and, and roster management, and they have a lot of junior college players, older, yes, experienced, do. and their style of play, just the physical rebound, uh, just not a whole, I don't want to say a lot of skill, because they obviously are scoring points and doing well, uh, but their deal was um, they went junior college right away, and they were able to compete right away. So as far as your team goes, uh, you said goodbye to three players or at least they were honored on on senior night i know some guys have eligibility um josh early does not dylan branson aquan smart all honored at the show me center that's always an emotional thing do, do, do you find it i remember a few years back when dickie was here and uh, they had uh, uh at murray state uh guy that played in the nba before cameron Payne. now his name is escaping me anyway 
so they had two of their – who's that? No, before him. Um, but they had two, like, of their all-timers. I mean, and that was the year, I think, that they eh, – it was the year after they were the last undefeated team in college basketball. But, uh, you know, they've been playing so well. And Simo went in there on senior night and beat them by double digits at Murray, Kentucky. And so I know sometimes emotions can kind of run high. I know it's emotional uh, for coaches because, you know, these are guys that you have, uh, you know, played, uh, you know, have sweated a lot with. You've you've been with them for such a long time. You develop such a a family atmosphere. Uh, Do you – what's your experience on senior night emotions? Do you – do teams play better? Do they do they not play as well? The guys who are honored and, and realize that the it's almost the end. Have you seen any pattern in your career over the years? Yeah, I think uh, you know each guy is a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I this year with Josh, I think Josh was he internally emotional, um, just the finality of everything being like, man, this is my last game in the Show Me Center, and unfortunately for those guys too. Uh, Friday was their last practice in the Show Me Center because we're in the wreck. Uh, so it's like, man, I don't even get to practice in the Show Me Center anymore after this. So uh, I think that's kind of, you know, as coaches, we're always try- trying to tell them or teaching them life lessons. But then when you actually, when it's right there and there's no more, because uh, unfortunately we set these athletes up for that. We, we regiment everything for them and do a lot for them that when uh, they really got to get out there and get kicked out of the nest and got to learn how to fly, it's kind of like, well, what do I do now? You guys aren't going to tell me when to show up every single day for something or uh, talk to me about this or walk me through this. So I think the finality of everything, when you walk out there for that last time, each guy's a little bit different. Of course, emotional from a different kind of standpoint with Dylan just because he's been injured all season long and a, a real true outlier in this day and age of being here for four years and to help us build the program from 11 to 14 to 19 wins and NCAA tournament for the first time in 23 years. So to be able to be, say that you were a part of every single one of those years and play and start and have a huge imprint on this program is pretty emotional when he looks back on it. Um, you know, and then Aquan even being, as you've mentioned before, just a guy that played on a championship team, and we took a chance on Aquan. Aquan took a chance on us. And, uh, you know, that's what it's all about is getting it to that point. And we honor God. The way I've kind of handled it, Eric, is if you have just now, again, with the COVID year, and we've got one more year of the, of the COVID hang on, if you graduate, we're going to honor you because at the end of the season, we don't need to go through this song and dance and everything else. It's like, well, I didn't get an opportunity to have uh, a senior night. So to me, if you if you have if you're graduating in that year, we'll honor you, and then what will be will be after that. But of course, Josh is a little bit different because he is eligibility expired after the season. So how many uh, how many uh, scholarships do you have going forward here? And I know. I know, you know, that that is a question where you're thinking, okay, then everybody who is eligible to come back comes back. That never happens anymore, especially now with the portal. So every guy who's eligible to come back will not be back for you. We understand that. But, uh, you know, what what are you playing with in terms of scholarships? Yeah, and that's the interesting and even the weird thing about it, um, you know, when you look at it, it's like I'm not going to pull in a Dylan Branson or a Quan Smart who are graduating but have eligibility left. I'm not going to pull them in while we're trying to win basketball games. And like, hey, man, tell me what you want to do. Gotcha. You know, I, I, so and you let the season play out. Like I said, that's why we kind of taken that approach of we'll honor you as a senior because you're graduating. And then after that, you know, of course, we'll have our meetings and all that. So you're always operating under the standpoint of like, hey, we're going to have multiples here and where that comes from and how. Um, 
you know, we can we can cross that bridge. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending upon how it is, even if you make the OVC tournament, you're going to have that conversation sooner than later. So I just try to have open communication with our guys. Eric, I never shut my door when we do meetings. Um, you know, I try to treat them like young people, like grown men, and I expect the same type of respect back to me. If you're not happy, let me know, and let's let's find something else. You know, it's not for everybody. I don't, I'm not a big portal uh, guy. I don't I don't necessarily believe in that from the standpoint of when things are hard, you just get to leave. But I also think that transferring can be healthy too. You know, I don't think it's fair to just say you should never transfer. So, well, that's not. We all transfer at some point. You know, at something in our life, we've all transferred something. Right. Whether that's a job, whether that's a, a relationship, whether that's we've all transferred. So to just say you can't transfer, you got to be locked in and be a man of your word and all of those things. I think sometimes that gets a little bit over glossed. Now, at the same time, I don't think that you should be able to go year to year to year, which is now where it's at as well. So that is a, even another layer to it. Uh, so when you look back on it again, it's first year COVID, second year portal, third year NIL, and now fourth year it's going to be portal again because we take a guy like Braxton Stackard and Rob Martin as sophomores and already have transferred thinking you've got them for three years. Not to say that either one of them two are going to leave. I'm just using that as an example of how we built the roster moving forward was, I don't want to be in the situation again to where you're constantly having to find seven to eight new players every single year. Fine with four or five, and that's going to be kind of the standard, I think, moving forward. But for only a, a program that only gets 13 men's basketball, only gets 13 scholarships, if you're going seven and eight every year, when I, you know, I'm trying to eliminate the highs and the lows of misses in recruiting. So you're going to potentially have misses in recruiting. It's just it's part of it. We get tricked. People trick you. You make mistakes. It happens. Uh, so trying to eliminate as many of those valleys as possible with guys like Rob and Braxton who are really good kids, really good players, just didn't have a ton of experience, and now you're getting the sophomores and juniors and seniors is what you thought on the on the front end of that. Now that's changed again. So it just seems that the, you get here and there's this, whenever you thought you could maybe pinpoint and, and go from there, you can't. So to my point earlier about the Ryan Ritters at UT Martin to Coach Bordeaux at Western Illinois, um, that's kind of the world that those guys grew up in. I didn't necessarily grow up in that world with Coach Weber, Coach Lowry, Matt Painter. We, we built players through our program. There was always people just sitting there waiting in the wings as red shirts and program guys. Those days are potentially, and, and for the most part, in all intents and purposes, over. Uh, and so now finding those right kind of guys, that's why I'm happy and pleased with the, the Marquez Bell and the B.J. Wards of the world and the Robs and the Braxons. Those are the right kind of core guys. T.J. Beal, those are the right kind of guys. And now we've got to bring in some other guys to supplement that. And then that's really how it's going to go moving forward. So uh, long, drawn-out answer to your question. Uh, but, again, that's a lot of things that, that kind of gives you a little bit of an insight of what you're thinking about now as it relates to recruiting. And as we've talked about freshman high school recruiting, it, it really makes it a challenge for that as well. So would you say that you are evolving looking at going forward now that you're going to take a harder look at the portal. You might take a harder look at junior college guys, just guys that have a lot of basketball experience, more so than guys who are just dipping their toe in college basketball. Yeah, I think I think you have to. I mean, just like anything in business, like you can't if you're not pivoting or understanding where your shortfalls are. You're, like I said earlier, you're going to continue to make the same mistake, and so. Me saying that I made a mistake isn't necessarily taking a shot at a particular player or staff or we didn't do a good job recruiting. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that's not necessarily the model right now until right. the dust settles in a couple of years, and then you can really kind of go see where it shifts and morphs 
as it relates to that. So uh, I do think you have to continually, you know, we'll use, since he's sitting right here and, and crushing some food and we've been on a show all year long and Joe does a great job of, of supporting us and the program and Seymour Athletics, but if something isn't working on the menu, he's got to pivot and find out what that is. That And so a lot of correlations between business and now what is roster management, not as much as recruiting and relationships and knowing kids for two and three and four years. Uh, so it has changed, and you got to be willing to pivot and change with the times and always be able to evolve. It doesn't mean you can't still stick just like an offense or a defense, have a base and a core thing that you're, you're built upon, but you also have to be able to pivot and shift and find a new direction uh, to, to get yourself back to success and mirror both of those things. And I think the best people, the best business people, uh, they do that, and they're able to do that, still know who they are, but then also be able to pivot and then add and add and add and still continue to push forward, even in – down here and i think we can uh, we can look right to the example with joe hobbs and a menu item i mean when the Lindberger cheese bologna burger did not become as popular as maybe some may have thought he pivoted to the mushroom and swiss diner burger nice choice he had to pivot Lindberger cheese wasn't a hit got a pivot and i think and unfortunately fortunately covid helped everybody pivot whether that's radio, whether that's restaurant, whether that's coaching, uh, you have to you had to learn how to pivot. And uh, again, at the end of the day, Eric, whether that's recruiting, business, radio, at the end of the day, you're dealing with people, and you need people to help you get to where you ultimately want to go, and people need you to help them get where they want to go. So finding out what is that magic formula that makes everybody have success, uh, all while keeping a main goal, main vision in line, uh, is really really important. And um, you know, just being aware of what, what can ultimately allow you to have the success. And one other thing, uh, you look at, and this does not affect you because we are not in a really big-time NIL scenario here, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of programs that are, whether it be college football, basketball, those are the main sports. Not that there aren't other NIL deals for other sports, but we're talking about the, the two big ones, basketball and football and right now with the way that the transfer portal is set up the way that nil is set up not affecting us in southeast missouri but what you're seeing on a large scale is the transfer portal being used in unison with nil where you basically have a pay for play scenario so a guy gets an nil deal here and then at the end of the year puts himself in the transfer portal and finds himself a better NIL deal and goes somewhere else. I mean, the pay for play, that's why we just saw a court ruling come down with Tennessee and Virginia about using NIL as a recruiting incentive. The NCAA wanted to ban it. The judge said, no, we're going to issue a temporary restraining order or an injunction on that particular scenario. So we don't know where it's going, but right now there is a pay-for-play scenario in big-time college football and big-time college basketball. Yeah, and I, I think that people try – you may try to disguise it other ways or use other fancy words, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. And then the portal, we might as well just call free agency. Uh, I want to be a free agent. And I think that's where sometimes – I guess I'm more of a – not a throwback, but more of a purist. Again, I'm not anti-transfer. Um, I don't understand it quite as well because I didn't transfer myself. I decided to redshirt at the school that I went to because I knew I wasn't ready yet. And I, I think it gave me a lot of qualities of fighting through all of those things. Now, was so it a you, you played a year, then redshirted, correct. right? Okay, correct. That, and that's rare. Very that's rare. Very rare. 
very rare. And again, I was just like any other kid. Oh, I could play, but Coach Weber didn't know what he's talking about. I'm the best player on the team, you know. Ball. And then you get out there, and it's like, man, I can't even feel my arm today because I just got <laughs> boxed out for the first time in my life. So uh, you, you sit back, and again, you may, you try to make wise decisions. Like, well, I'm not ready yet, so I need another year. Let me, you know, get these other guys out of the way, and then. Uh, but that, again, that's that's each person has to make their own decision, you know. And I try to tell kids all the time in recruiting, like, what's going to make you happy? Uh, I think a lot of people in society in general, like you get caught up in money and um, all that stuff. And it's just like that, that one is never going to be enough. No matter how much you have is never going to be enough. If we give a guy $10,000, well, 15,000 is always more. So you want to go to another place just because it's 15, it's five more grand. So you can put on social media that you made five more grand than you made here or whatever the case may be. And we don't have anybody making 10 grand. I'm just using it as an example. Um, and then they say, Oh, well, coach, you make money. You can leave anytime you want to leave. And it's like, well, I've never been the head coach at Missouri State last year, the head coach at SEMO this year, the head coach at SIU next year, and then the head coach at Missouri the year after that. I, I've been the head coach at SEMO for four years now. And so I think it's a little bit different when you look at it that way. And I, the Jay Billises of the world say, oh, well, coaches get to leave whenever they want. True, but I have yet to see the coach other than maybe Chris Beard take three different jobs in three different years. And so there's got to be some sort of baseline, some sort of um, – I don't want to say rules or regulations to it because, again, I, no matter if you have to be here for two years, four years, three years, and I tell all of our guys, like, what makes you happy? And if a T-shirt or an extra polo or 5000 more dollars is what drives you and makes you happy, you probably shouldn't even be in college athletics anyways. You just go work. Go get some, Go make some money because whatever job you could go get, you'd make more than $15,000 to play basketball. So go just go work then. Pay taxes. Get some benefits, and that's another thing. Go pay there, rent. There are others. there are uh, organizations that work with schools now that have NIL deals that work specifically on doing the taxes for the player. This is taxable income they're getting now. Uh, there are a lot of different tentacles to NIL. Yeah, and I just don't know where. Um, let's just use broad numbers in an example. Like Kansas, let's say Kansas has five million dollars in NIL. First, where's that money coming from? Second of all, was it just hanging out there before? Uh, third of all, who's, who is paying taxes on that? And that's the slippery slope to me for NIL, especially in our situation. So use us as, as this example. You go ask Joe Hobbs for some money for NIL, that's a hard ask. You're, you're literally asking this person for their hard-earned money to, as you said, pay a player to come play here. It's like, man, that's, you know, you have people that want to help, but that's a hard thing for some people to, to get on board with. Um, but at the same time, I'm not anti, if you're one of our better players, I am not against you being able to go to Schnucks or Aldi or whatever the grocery store may be and sell your autograph and make some money. I'm not against that either. But for a college basketball player like Zach Eady at Purdue, who is a national player of the year, as an example, for him to be making $2 million to play basketball, like are we really thinking we're making him go to the English one-on-one class? What are you going to say? Like, hey, hey, Zach, you really need to go to class today. Why would I go to class today? I made $15,000 today by not going to class. So it's just it's a really weird space, Eric. And, again, I'm not against any of it. I just think that we've just said, okay, here, 18 to 22-year-olds, figure it out. And it's just that's where I just struggle with it because we're supposed who's the adult in the room? Like, let's, let's get this thing under control somehow, some way. We all make enough money. We all have enough status. We all have enough of that. Let's get let's get to where it's going to help 
85% of the people. I'm one of the 85%. I'm not one of the 15%. And so I know what college basketball has done for me, and I think there's a lot more people like me out there for what college athletics is supposed to be about as opposed to the Zach Eadies of the world who may or may not need college basketball, but for $2 million, man, that's, that's tough. It's hard for me to wrap my head around. I'm not very smart, but that's just I'm more of the 85% of the – let's make decisions and rules based upon the, 80, the good of the 85 that it really is supposed to help. Yeah, Luther Burden's making a lot of money to be wide receiver at the University of Missouri. And, again, we clarify, Joe Hobbs is not the SEMO bag man. So that's <laughs> clarification right there. It's a shameless plug. We're trying to, we're trying to get him on board, Eric. <laughs> He's sitting here with us. All right, quick timeout. When do we come back? Uh, you, you saw what happened at Wake Forest the other night with the storming the floor. And uh, Filipowski, the uh, player for Duke, star player for Duke, Got banged into, may have uh, over-exaggerated how much he was quote-unquote injured. What about storming the floor? I'm sure Coach Korn has some thoughts on that. It's a big topic right now in college basketball. And the Red Hawks uh, getting set to head to Moorhead State and then Southern Indiana. Would you believe me if I told you SEMO's final four games are against the top four offenses in the OVC? They are. Uh, and they've still got Moorhead State and Southern Indiana coming up. Much more from the Coaches Show. We're in Dexter today. You're listening to SEMO ESPN from Wings at Center of the Red Hawks Coaches Show. So, Coach, uh, you, you're talking about court stormings now in terms of the national focus. Uh, once the NFL is over, people are scrambling to, to find topics. Obviously, college basketball uh, is in full swing. There will be more college basketball talk nationally closer we get to conference tournaments, closer we get to March Madness. Uh, but the Wake Forest fan base, the student section running onto the court the other day when they beat the Duke Blue Devils, uh, and one thing to keep in mind that no one's talking about, Wake Forest was a two-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, and they stormed the court winning uh, as a favorite on their home floor. But it is Duke. They weren't ranked eighth. Uh, Filipowski, their star, got run into uh, and, you know, one of his postgame quotes to one of the media outlets, uh, they did it on purpose. Uh, John Shire calling for, you know, in his postgame press conference, when are we going to ban court stormings? Obviously, the fans want to celebrate. We want the students there. It changes the atmosphere. You pull off a big upset. They like to celebrate, not just in basketball. They storm the field when there's a big upset in football as well. I mean, sometimes they tear the goalposts down. I know yeah. in Columbia – uh, in the past, they've they've torn the goalpost down and carried it down the street to Harpo's. So there's a tradition uh, in college sports with that, and it's just a big party, and everybody gets excited. Uh, do you have any thoughts on court storming? I, my thought is just kind of what some people have said, too, is just as far as you hope you're at that point to where you expect to win the game if you're awake and you don't have to storm the court. But, again, some of it too is the it's the college atmosphere. That's what it's supposed to be about. You give the opportunity to, for them to stay engaged and be um, all the way through the end of the game. Uh, and then again, it's just something that we've seen over time and time and time again. You know what turned into one turns into ten turns into common practice now. So um, you'd like to and hope and think that you can get to the point or the programs are at the point to where it's like, hey, we we fully expect to beat Duke when they show up here, so we're not going to storm the court. Uh, but I don't in a at Clemson football, don't they rush the court if they win, no matter who they're playing? I think Clemson does that. So it's no. just it's a good question. I think that they 
they are invited to come on the okay. field every time they win. Well, um, I know the ACC is the one Power Five conference that does not have a fine or rule in place where there is a penalty if you storm yeah. the court or storm the field. I know in the SEC, uh, it's $250,000. You storm the football field. Right. So, uh, and I, I forget which game was that. Someone stormed the field, and they were taking pieces of the turf in college football, whatever that was. Like right. And, and Selling yeah. them on eBay or something like that. I was like, my goodness. So some of the stuff is a little out of control. Uh, but, again, I think that you can have a – just like anything, in moderation. You can have a court storming, you can have a field storming, as long as there's moderation. But when you're talking about player safety and guys getting hurt, uh, now we're crossing the line. So it's probably best when people don't know how to do things in moderation to just cut it off. So uh, one of the things that people saw before the Filipowski thing, uh, the University of Iowa women's basketball team lost a game recently, and they stormed the floor, and a fan ran right into Caitlin Clark and knocked her down. Yeah. Now she got up. She was okay, but she was clearly stunned uh, when she got knocked down. Um, so, you know, That's, it's not the first time something like this has happened. And I think when – because even both of those videos that come out, because now everything is on video with 13 different angles, and did Caitlin Clark flop? Did Philip Kelsey flop? Like, you know, that's the, kind of the – but I think it's when you're he gets hit harder on a screen throughout that two hours in a game, and so did, sure. so does Caitlin. But you're expecting that when you're playing. So I think when you're a player and the game's over with, your guard goes down, and sure. you're not expecting to get ran into by somebody at that point. And that's when injuries happen. That's why you don't see her get hurt. You don't see him get hurt during the game because you're playing. The, the competition is there from both sides, and so you know what to expect. It's when the when the buzzer goes off and your guard goes down. Now you get ran into when you're when you're not expecting it. That's when unfortunately injuries can occur. So I think it's um, again it's a little bit both, a little bit of, of both sides of it. But I think that's more of it than anything is that you just kind of let your guard down because the game's over. So then all of a sudden you get hit by a fan or a kid that's running full speed at you. That can cause a a little bit different type of a situation. And speaking of Caitlin Clark, have you seen her play? What do you think about uh, the 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 talent of Caitlin Clark? Just broke the all-time women's scoring record, and now uh, she's trying to chase down Pistol Pete Maravich's all-time NCAA basketball scoring record, men or women. Now the difference is um, back when the Pistol played, you couldn't play as a freshman, so. In three seasons, he averaged 44 points per game for his career without a three-point line. So, But Maravich's record is in play for Caitlin Clark, seemingly unlimited logo range. Yeah. Yeah, any thoughts on uh, on Caitlin Clark and uh, what she has done for women's basketball? I think it's great, obviously, having two girls of my own, you know, for them to be able to have somebody they can watch play and uh, be mesmerized by their ability. It doesn't have to just be the NBA or a man or Steph Curry shooting shots. The skill level that she has, I, I hope people don't underappreciate that, although she, it's women's basketball. And she had another triple-double yesterday, by the way. Yeah, but the, the places and the shots that she's making, I mean, it's it's unbelievable, really, and uh, pretty impressive to watch. It's good to have, you know, you uh, you try to be a model for your own players and, and the men's side, um, and, you know, I've my wife is great and works hard and is a great example for our girls. But to be able to have a, somebody like that that they can watch on TV have success the way that she's having it is pretty cool too, especially at this time. Because we all grow up, whether that's baseball, whatever it is, we all know that childhood quote-unquote hero that we were able to watch and try to emulate in the driveway. Um, and so to be able to have a, a somebody like that in the women's game right now for my girls I know is pretty cool because it takes the – 
takes the burden off of me trying to have to show them certain things or just because when you can see somebody do it and then that's when you want to be able to go and do it too so to if you watch a man do it it's kind of like, eh, whatever that's just nba but now you've got that in the WNBA, the growth of the game, and God rest his soul for what Kobe Bryant was able to do and his girls, and uh, to create more opportunities uh, for everybody, and really just to raise the awareness. We've seen it in volleyball, the uh, Nebraska playing outside, and the, so women's sports in general is really starting to get a lot more attention and deservedly so. So I think you could make a pretty solid argument that Rick Patino is one of the greatest college basketball coaches. Of all time, still going strong at 70. Uh, they just knocked off Creighton, a really good win for them, and a whiteout night, and he went back and brought back the white suit and the white shoes. Uh, but he made headlines last week. They blew a 19-point lead against Seton Hall, and it was a pretty long post-game press conference. But some of the highlights, uh, you know, he said this is his uh, least enjoyable uh, collegiate uh, season ever as a coach and you know he talked about how much he did enjoy coaching the NBA when he was there but he said uh, just one of the quotes I look at it pragmatically we are small we are slow laterally we don't shoot the ball great we don't play great defense because of those shortcomings these are weaknesses outside of that we're pretty good and he went on to name specific players doesn't have good lateral movement and, and everything well, after that game, he was asked about your thoughts on what you said about your players. And they come out and put together an effort to beat Creighton, who just boat raced UConn the other day. Just absolutely blew out the Huskies. And some of the quotes as he apologized, he said, words matter. It's my bad. I'm at fault. I never should have mentioned anybody by name. Uh, I didn't mean it. And one of his players, senior Jordan Dingle, when asked about it, he said, we know how much he loves us and cares about us uh, and how much he cares about winning, so I don't think guys really took it to heart. A lot of people have criticized Patino for, you know, you don't mention guys individually and things like that. And Patino agreed by saying words matter, and, you know, he apologized. And he, he said a lot more in his apology than I just read. But I just want to give the Cliff Notes version, you know, whether you're familiar with it or not, or our listeners are familiar with it or not. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, on what Patino had originally said uh, and then apologizing, and his team did not quit on him. In fact, uh, gave him the best effort of the year. Yeah, I think it is. There's, there's so much that goes into – a team and a season, all the highs and lows, no matter if you're at St. John's and you're Rick Pitino or you're at Seymour and you're Brad Corn, it just there's a lot that goes into it. And again, like I said at the beginning of the show, it's it's still human beings that you're dealing with and it's still young people that you're dealing with. So um, there's a lot more that goes into their practices and their bus rides. And I try to tell our guys all the time, you've been with us, uh, Eric, and when we get back, it's, you know, there's, there's only about 20 people that are there when you get back at 4 in the morning from the Moorhead Road trip. Um, and so, again, there's a lot that goes into it, and there's a trust and a, and a camaraderie and a love that is built with a team throughout the season, practices and all that. And it is true. It just goes to show you at one moment and words do matter, that can be broken. And that's the fragile thing about it because you've got to find a way to push guys and get them out of their comfort zone because if you just allow guys to sit in their comfort zone, no matter if that's a, a basketball player or an employee or yourself, 
you're not going to have progress. So you're always trying to push guys and finding ways to push them uh, to reach new heights and to reach new potential. And so especially come February 2nd, 3rd week of February, now going to be March next week, it's probably tried a whole lot of things up to that point. And so now maybe I'm assuming because he is a Hall of Fame coach, it's like, well, I'll try this. Since we're in a media market like New York, maybe it gets swept under the rug. Maybe they don't even pay attention. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming because he is a master motivator. Uh, Coach Billy Don, Donovan played for him. and uh, the, the, uh, There's been no, multiple stories about when he was at Kentucky and Louisville just running players on the treadmill to get them in shape, and it changed their lives. And so, I mean, he took freaking Providence to the Final Four. Yeah, so I think that there's always motivating tactics, and sometimes you go – maybe a little bit too far with it because words do matter. So I always try to say pretty even kill, even after games. I try to not – because, again, a lot of it is emotion-based. And then you go back again. When you lose a game, you're always – all these things that we should have done much. And then you go back and watch the film, and it's not nearly as bad as you thought. And then you win a game, and you're so excited that you won because winning is hard to do that the bad things get lost in the wins. And so it's – you try to stay pretty even kill through all of it. Uh, I know I try to stay pretty kill through all of it. Because the last thing that you want to do, even though you may mess up on your words, I think the guys and the players can feel what you what you have. And I, at St. John's, they have way more resources in order for to how much he loves us and takes care of us by private jets and food and, and the way they stay and the way they treat their players. And a lot of that doesn't necessarily come out of his pocket. Um, but, again, it's more so how do you treat them and, and the communication that you have with them and the experiences you try to give them and the way that, in which you do that. And so we try that. A lot of different ways, and also, too, Eric, is really, I think a lot of some of those things get lost in translation, too, is, you know, what is the staff doing, you know, to, to help that as well? Uh, because, again, the players aren't just only talking to the head coach. They're also talking to the assistants. And so do you have good relationships that way? And is there open communication to where, hey, I made a mistake, you made a mistake. You recognize it, you own it, you learn from it, and you never make it again. So I think there's a lot of different factors that can go into that. But, um other than, than Coach Patino, even uh, Coach Izzo. I think Tom Izzo at Michigan State calls his guys out quite a bit in the media, and it never seems to, to hurt him too bad. So, again, once they know where it's coming from, you know, it's that old saying, too, they don't know one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I think Coach Patino, Coach Izzo, those guys, they know how, their players know how much they care for them. You know, there's another saying in sports that uh, if your players are – the leaders on your team. If you're a great team, the players are the leaders. If you're a good team, the coach is the leader. If you're a bad team, you got no leaders on the basketball team. You agree with that? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And I look a lot back when I, when I played and it's a different game. It's a different, you know, everything is a little bit different. The human and the, the makeup of the person is still the same, you know, but a lot of different outside factors. There's way more outside factors now. There was no social media or even cell phones uh, when I was playing, but I didn't have to, I didn't have a ton of, of confidence as a player, honestly. Um, but I also didn't work real hard on my game, to be completely honest with you. You know, Kent Williams, who's the second leading scorer all time at SIU, he never was looking at Bruce Weber to give him confidence. He went and made his own confidence because he worked his tail off every single night, every single day, stayed after. So that's where you get your confidence from. I don't think Kobe Bryant was looking around like, hey, man, I need Phil Jackson to give me some confidence today. You know what I mean? I, I just – so I think – but there are times and there are places for that where you got to give a guy a, a little boost. But um, I think when the players know exactly what they want and they're not going to be stopped at obtaining that, 
then the coach gets to get out of the way and just kind of guide and not necessarily try to lead everything um, because I, absolutely the best teams and the best the best teams of course have the best players uh, but also it's the work and the approach that those players take to it every single day and then hold other people to that I think that's probably the biggest thing is I may be a great player similar to what Michael Jordan was saying in the last dance documentary I never made somebody do something that I wasn't willing to do myself and so when your best player is that way and bringing other people to the level that's going to that that requires not to make not that any coach wants it easy but then the coach can just worry about coaching and then that's where you have the most success because again you're streamlining that process all the ancillary things fall off and you're really only focused on that one thing whether you're a player or a coach love the the great line uh that michael jordan used in practice one one day will purdue wasn't playing very well and he told him, you know, you, you don't even deserve to have the name Purdue. We ought to call you Will Vanderbilt. This is a description. <laughs> anyway, so you're getting set to play Moorhead State. Uh, uh, it, it would be hard for me to believe that Riley Minix is not going to be the OVC player. There. He may not. We'll see. Uh, it depends on what Moorhead does in the final two games, uh, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe he's already got it locked up. But in conference play, Coach, the leading scorer in the league. He is number two in rebounding in the league. He is number um, in terms of field goal percentage. He's number one in the OVC. He is third in free throw percentage in the OVC. This is a guy who transferred from NAIA. Uh, so that is who you will be facing on Thursday. And as I mentioned, uh, your final four games of the season against the top four scoring teams in the league. Martin has won. Little Rock is the second-highest-scoring offense. Moorhead is three. Southern Indiana is four. That's your closing four-game stretch. But you get Riley Minix, the likely player of the year, on Thursday night. Uh, and he's not the only guy. Lathrop is really, really good yeah. as well. I mean, they, they've just got a lot of really good players. Uh, and their coach, uh, I, what, 13-1 and one at home this year, 12-1 and one at home. And they've lost one time. Uh, at home this season so uh, this is going to be a heck of a challenge uh, but uh, if we go back and uh, see what SEMO has done at Moorhead State yeah. I seem to remember uh, a, a two-game winning streak you, you're taking in there yeah it's, it's been really weird we've had great games with them the last uh, well really since I've been here it's been really good games against them and they've done nothing but uh, sustain their success and, and Preston does a great job with that and they've done a great job of identifying those older guys at the NAI level I think that's probably something that people don't realize either is at the NAI level there's not a true portal like there is in, in the other divisions. It's, it's kind of a, I don't want to say a hearsay uh, type of a situation, but it's, it's a different type of a model. It's not as streamlined or as easy, if you will, to find a guy in the NAI portal as it is in the regular portal. Uh, but they've done a good good job in that. And I mean, how, how exactly. good of a job has he done? In the last four years, in the state of Kentucky, Moorhead State University has more basketball wins than anyone, and that includes UK. Yeah, that's pretty. That's that's not pretty impressive. That is impressive, yeah. and uh, they've had some history there. Kenneth Reed, Donnie Tyndall, uh, Sean Combs uh, was the coach there, I think, uh, before Preston, and uh, so they've had some history. And that's a Kentucky. That's the that's Kentucky basketball. So the state really embraces basketball, and he, him and his wife. Preston's wife is about from an hour, hour and a half from there. So they're all in on, on Moorhead, and uh, they've done a great job with that. So, um, you know, you, it's not luck. You create your own luck. 
Um, but getting guys like Janai Broom from Florida to be able to get a Drew Thelwell from Florida, uh, to be able to get Alex Gross, the defensive player of the year last year, to now be probably potentially Riley Minix, player of the year this year, done a really nice job of identifying those guys and recruiting and what fits them and um, older, experienced production players. And, um, you know, they're not just Riley Minix, of course, and we have to do a much, much better job on him uh, this time around at our place early in the season. Uh, he went for 20-some, maybe 30 points, whatever it was, and just really a lack of, of um, understanding on our part of, of just letting him be way too easy uh, for him. So we'll do a much better job on him. Uh, but, again, like you said, it's not just a one-man show over there. That's a program. And so we're going to have to come and, and really be on point for 40 minutes uh, if we're going to go in there and, and win for the third year in a row. Uh, ironically, they've won here at our place for three years in a row. We've won – two times or two years in a row at their place hopefully we make it the third and then we beat them in the conference tournament obviously last year so it'd be if we can get this one it'd be we've won four out of the last seven against them which is who else can say that um nobody in, in the run that they've made guarantee so, nobody so it's been good games um you know good chess matches you want to I, I think the highest compliment i could give coach bradlin is that he makes me a better coach you know, and that's the highest compliment I can give him because you can't just get up there and just show up and play basketball and think you're going to win. You, you have got to know what's going on. You've got to be able to get your guys understand that. And um, you know, we've both. Um, he's been very complimentary of us and, and our successes that we've had in the short time, and so uh, complimentary and a lot of respect for him and the way he runs and, and does his program as well. All right, it'll be 6.30 on Thursday with Moorhead State. Uh, they're the only school in the league that's in the Eastern time zone. That's 6.30 Central time uh, for the Red Hawks and the Eagles. Coach, thanks so much. Uh, you're always generous with your time. Uh, I know it, 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 uh, that's, it puts a big crimp in your schedule. Hour to Dexter, hour back to Cape Girardeau, but uh, we certainly always appreciate it. We'll talk to you Thursday. Okay, sounds good, Eric. Thank you. Uh, all right, that's the Red Hawks head coach. That's going to do it here from Dexter Wings, etc., where the Red Hawks will play at Moorhead State. Again, that's a 6.30 tip-off. I uh, want to thank Joe Hobbs for all of his support and uh, hosting the coaches show as long as he has, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, thanks to Rachel Cooker, engineer on site. Kirby Ray making uh, the drive down here today. And Michelle, I, I, I can't forget the boss. Uh, right, Michelle Hobbs is, is definitely the boss. You are married. You understand that concept. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll get you back into regular programming on ESPN Radio. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. So long from Wings, etc.